All right. But the important thing that you guys are all waiting for, I promised an update. We met as a leadership team on Monday, and so I'd like to share with you uh, where we decided. Uh, for those of you that are new, uh, about three months ago in January, I had shared uh, what our financial outlook was going to look like for this year, and we anticipated a rather substantial deficit. And I told you then, we're aware of this. We're not blind to it. We're going to make a plan to go forward. Um, and I just want to say, I really appreciate how much uh, support I've received and participation back. I had so many ideas or people come up and share, well, what about this? Or here's the hopes that I have for our church. Um, talking through it, uh, praying with us. Uh, I invited you all to fast on Monday so that we could really hear clarity and unity uh, from God in terms of where we should head. Uh, and also the trustees have noticed uh, a significant increase in giving. So uh, like these first three months compared to the last six months of 2022. So I just want to thank you guys all. Uh, I really recognize the support and it feels like we're all doing this together. So I, I want to just invite you continue to do this together uh, with us and with each other. Uh, so we met, this was trustees, elders, and staff. There are 10 of us total. Last Monday, uh, the, the present discussion we were having was, uh, what do we want to do about the deficit, right? I'd love to have a church that's at least spending what the gifts are there. Uh, but we quickly decided that we didn't want to make a financial decision. We wanted to make a missional decision. Who are we as beyond church? And let's make sure whatever we decide, it's not something we're backed into a corner, but we're choosing the best option so that we can live God's love beyond ourselves so all of Cast Rock could know his love. Uh, we were that raised the question of, should we be a church on Sunday morning or should we be a 24-7 church? Um, we, we've mentioned that the space is our biggest cost and we're really kind of just using it for two hours on a Sunday. Uh, but we decided as a leadership team that we wanted to have a, a presence within the community and we didn't want to just show up and leave on Sundays, uh, which meant that we would need to kind of view who we are as a church and how we participate in the church differently, where we see this physical space itself uh, as a tool that is on mission with us in addition to our time and our money. Uh, we looked around, and, and to be honest, there's not a lot of good options. Uh, price per square foot is cheapest right where we are, um, and so you're kind of stuck where there's, there's not necessarily a, a smaller, better option that might fit us. Um, and then uh, as we're praying through this in February, uh, a new option came up that we, that we weren't considering. Uh, Planet Cheer asked us if we would want to give them any space. They were looking to expand just a little bit. They'd prefer to stay here. And we're like, I guess maybe. Like, what are you kind of thinking? Um, and they need a big space for a gym. And they said this space that we're sitting in right now is uh, the only space that they would really want. Would we consider it? Uh, ultimately, that's what we've decided to do. So we're going to stay in our church, except not this space, the space out front. That's about 60% of our space is the cafe and then all the classrooms around both hallways. And about 40% is this sanctuary and then there's a little closet back behind here. So Planet Cheer is going to take over the lease of this and we're going to be up in the front. Now, you're probably wondering, 
well, what are we going to do? Because this is where we meet. Uh, we're going to rethink this space, the, the cafe space. Uh, uh, we really like the cafe s- the feel, and we'd like to keep that. Uh, we're probably going to need to take down some walls, maybe that classroom out front, uh, and rearrange. Uh, but we want to continue meeting as a church. We're not going to change what Sunday mornings look like. We're just changing where it's going to happen. We're going to have worship. We're going to pray together. We're going to open our Bible. We're going to study it together. We're going to discuss together. Uh, we're going to continue doing that. And I know, uh, if you're like me, when you're at church, the most amount of time that you spend is in this room. Like, I get that. Like, this is where our memories are. This is where our emotional connection, our spiritual connection with God is. And so it will be difficult for us to come into the church and just stay out in the cafe. But I want to remind you of this. In talking with you, the two strengths, the two things that I heard most that you guys like about our church that we're doing well is the community, the connections with each other, and our mission statement. We're keeping those. (laughs) Those are going with us, and they will be wherever we are. And in fact, we want to do that second part even more, that, that being on mission. Uh, even in our discussion, we kind of realized we haven't. We've talked about it a lot, and we're kind of hoping and anticipating you guys are all doing it in your own life. You're living God's love beyond yourself. Uh, we really feel like, it, okay, if we're making this decision to, to get a space that fits our size, and we're not going to just rent every Sunday morning, we have to use that space and allow that to be a part of our mission going forward. Uh, and so then we started thinking, well, what does that look like? Um, and we think, well, let's open the space and where can we meet a need in the community where physical space, meeting space would, would actually help someone, serve someone and be a, a vehicle that we can use to develop relationships within the community. Uh, we don't have those relationships right now. It's going to take work to foster those relationships. Uh, but we decided we wanted to have a focus as opposed to all of us just trying to meet everyone who comes. Uh, we want to target the youth in Castle Rock because we feel like our space could be an area where youth could come and gather and we could develop relationships with them. There's um, enough of us that have passion and have spoken with me about how they want to teach and invest and just love on the youth. And we feel like let's move our church and develop where we can have a target for our mission toward the youth. So this is not going to be overnight. Uh, We don't have a well-worked out plan. Here's what it's going to be. On Tuesday night, we'll do this. And on Fridays, we'll do this. Um, This is going to take a while. Uh, We're going to have to develop relationships. We're going to have to get to know more youth, get to know more schools, uh, get to know just our community in general, and then come up with a plan. What is it going to look like for us to use our space? Uh, What's it going to look like for people who can't physically be here in the space? How can they still be supporting the mission? Uh, There's lots that we have to plan uh, in terms of transition. The, the near future, the one that's going to affect us is, well, when is this transition going to happen? Uh, we're still working that out with Planet Cheer, but it'll probably be early summer, so next couple of months, and then we'll transition. But this mission where we want to put our space to use toward our mission, uh, that's going to take years. Um, but, but I just want to invite you to be in for the long haul. We're committing to this direction and to see, okay, well, where will God produce fruit? And if we can put ourselves out there, where will God's faithfulness come and how can we impact the entire community of Castle Rock? Uh, we've got tons more that we can say. So I just want to invite Kim, myself, uh, any trustees and elders after church this morning, come down front. Um, Talk through your thoughts, your concerns, your ideas. Uh, If you want to know more about the decision process, it was a a nice three-hour meeting uh, when I had scheduled an hour and a half, like classic pastor move. 
Um, but we have more that we'd like to share. So if you have those thoughts that you want to share with us, come after church um, and just have an informal discussion. And then on April 16th and two Sundays, uh, we want to have a more formalized meeting where we can come and start coming up with ideas. We're in the dreaming phase. Uh, like, where do we need to go? What resources do we want to look at? I want to invite you to that April 16th after church. But I was telling the the team that we were praying with at the beginning, uh, we don't gather here just to talk about ourselves and where we're going. We actually gather on Sundays to worship God, so we're going to take time to read his word. Um, and we're in John chapter 14. We're going to continue there. This is the, the fifth week of our five-week series that we're calling Any Final Questions. We're looking at five questions that the disciples asked of Jesus in the Last Supper. Uh, so today is the Sunday before Easter. The Christian calendar calls this Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week includes that triumphal entry when Jesus is uh, praised as the coming king, coming into Jerusalem. It also holds uh, the Last Supper. It's uh, Jesus when he's arrested. It's Jesus hanging on the cross and Jesus being buried. Those all happen in Holy Week. And so those are in the forefront of our mind. We've been preparing for Easter or, or kind of going through Holy Week the last five weeks because we've just been looking at this conversation in the Last Supper where Jesus is revealing to his disciples that I'm going to be leaving you. There's going to be a new reality, but don't worry, I'm not going for forever. There's going to be the Holy Spirit here. And so we've just been wrestling alongside the disciples with understanding this new reality. What does it look like for them to follow Jesus when he's not physically present. And that's the reality we find ourselves in. So as they ask their questions, we ask ours alongside and try to find the answers. This is the question uh, that we're going to be looking at today. It's uh, from Judas. John makes a point. This is not that Judas that already left. It's a different one. Uh, he says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Uh, what he's getting at is the exclusivity of Jesus, where it just seems like yeah, you might love everyone, but why are you just picking a few people? Um, in our culture, uh, this looks like, is Jesus the only way to heaven? You know, or is, are there other paths to spiritual fulfillment? Um, or it can look like uh, you go to a church and then they have certain rules where, well, you're not a real Christian unless you do certain things. And maybe they aren't saying it, but maybe they're more practicing it, or that's what it feels like. Now, those are the questions that we're going to explore as we explore Jesus' answer to Judas. So open up your Bibles. We're in John chapter 14, and it's uh, starting in verse 22. We'll go to the end, which is verse 31. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen if, um, if you don't have your Bibles. All right, we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll go back and, and try to understand his question and Jesus' answer. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give, as, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid." You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what, the, what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let, let us leave. 
there's a lot there in the passage. Um, but I don't know about you. It almost feels like Jesus may, might have forgotten or didn't hear Judas's question, right? Like Judas says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus kind of goes rapid fire in these different things, right? He says, uh, if you love me, obey my teaching. We'll come to you and make our home with them. But if you don't love me, you won't obey. You know, th- these are my Father's words, not mine. The Holy Spirit's coming. He'll teach you everything. I'm leaving you peace. Do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. I'm going. You should be happy that I'm going. And it's like, wait, where was the... Hold on. Jesus, Judas asked a question. Are you going to... Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious too. What did you have to say to that? Um, he is answering it. Um, perhaps it's, again, not as direct as we would like as we see throughout this whole chapter. Uh, Jesus has his own agenda that he's trying to communicate with his disciples. The disciples are wrestling with their own questions, and Jesus is constantly bringing them back to what's important. T- to understand Jesus' question, uh, we have to read a little bit from before. I don't know if you guys got here last week. If you're here, we had our Egg Sunday breakfast. We had a great time. Uh, feedback I got was that uh, I was a little overambitious with my uh, outline, and everyone got about... 10% of the way through it. Um, here's, here's a portion of what we read uh, last week. Uh, he says, and I will ask, this is Jesus to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Uh, This is the part that that stood out to Judas, where he sees Jesus say, you're going to receive this advocate, this Holy Spirit, where I will live with you. But guess what? The world can't see him. It rejects him. It doesn't know him. And so he's saying, time out. Why, Why just us and not the world? And to understand his question, Judas was thinking of the Messiah and what was to come. Uh, If you were here for Christmas, we did a whole sermon series through Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, and we looked at how different people highlighted in that genealogy told us what to expect from Jesus, who was the fulfillment, this Messiah, this promised one of the Old Testament. And and we'll go to a couple passages there, but in Judas's mind, he was looking for a king to come who has a special relationship with God. It's spe- God's special presence would be through a king. And so he's kind of like, well, if you're, if you're kind of doing the thing right now, because it sounds like you're leaving in order to glorify the Father, and how are we just the ones going to know? Like, what, what kind of king rules a people that don't know that the king is ruling them? You know, or the, an invisible king, you know, it says that they can't even see him. It doesn't make any sense. These are a couple of passages that we studied uh, back in December to understand what was the Jewish thought, what would the disciples have thought Jesus would be when he reveals that he's the Messiah. Because if you, we didn't discuss this, but in chapter six, the disciples admitted that you are the Christ. They know that he is the Messiah. You are the chosen one. And so now all of their expectations are placed on him. Uh, These are the passages before I keep referencing them without giving you a chance to read them. This is from 2 Samuel. Long time ago, this is um, a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Uh, This is God speaking to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." Uh, This promise to David we talked about uh, led people to expect the Messiah would be this descendant who would would have an eternal kingdom established in God. 
Um, the other aspect of that is this close relationship with God. We read from Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. This is further along, if you know the story about the, the bones coming to life, then there's some prophecy about how this will happen. Uh, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. This is talking about David's descendant. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob. The land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever and David my servant will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so the expectation of these two combined is there's going to be this future king with an eternal kingdom that is established in God and it's there in that kingdom that God's presence will dwell with us. Um, again, th these two, I mean, these are fascinating prophecies and the expectations on Jesus. But if we take it back to Judas's question, he's, he's kind of like, hold on, I know what the Bible says about the Messiah. Kind of sounds like you're about to start this, this action from happening. Now, I recognize this whole presence with you, the Holy Spirit there, but why are you saying it's just us? Because it's supposed to be this kingdom where everything gets made right, that's perfect, and you're made king. Like, he's probably thinking they're about to go start the revolution. You know, it's like, all right, like, I'm, I'm pumped, Jesus. Like, let's go. Wait, time out. You said just us? They can't see it? Like, Jesus is, is helping them understand how this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And look, look at his answer. If, we're, if we say that he's answering his question, why are you revealing yourself to us and not to the world? This is the very, this is the very next verse. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. He's almost echoing that prophecy in Ezekiel where he says that I'll make my dwelling place with them. I'll put my sanctuary there. My presence will be with them. He's emphasizing the one aspect of the coming Messiah. When he comes, he's going to bring God's special presence to you. Yeah, that kingdom, it's not time for that yet. Don't be focused on that. Instead, focus on the presence. That's where the kingdom is. That's where you want. Ultimately, this is what you're looking for, the fulfillment that you're wanting. Jesus is essentially saying, what you really want is me. What you really want is Jesus. And I think sometimes we can get so caught up in wanting heaven, uh, or how, who, who's going to get into the kingdom, who's going to get into heaven. And Jesus says, no, 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 what you want is me. What you want is my presence. That, that is the kingdom, is, is me with you. That is the hope, and that's what we're aiming at. That's what he's directing the disciples. Have you guys ever uh, had a vacation that didn't go as planned, where you do all, the, do all the tickets, make all the reservations, you get there, and then, oh, it turns out it's closed on that day, right? Or it's, it's rainy, you know, or you, know, you hit a flat tire, and now your plans are completely wrecked. Uh, usually, if you've already made the commitment, you've put enough, uh, lined enough of your, I don't know, I was gonna say like your eggs in one place, but I think I'm mixing metaphors there. Uh, but if you've, <laughs> if you've lined everything, have I said it anyway, right? So if you've lined everything up, you're probably not gonna just go quit and do something else. You just make the most of it, and you say, well, we're here, let's, I don't know, go look at the field or something. Uh, we had a, a similar experience, wasn't quite that, that 
difficult, but like when our, our family was here visiting last week, we wanted to take them up into the mountains. They hadn't been to Colorado. Uh, the mountains are absolutely gorgeous. I mean, even just driving I-70 in past that Genesee, Genesee Park exit, and you just, whoa, this is amazing. It's like, we'll have to do that. The only problem uh, was that it was uh, supposed to be cold and snowy. It's like, ah, not ideal, but whatever, we'll do it. We drive there, and then we wanted to go to Echo Lake because there's great hiking around Echo Lake. Um, it's a fun drive. Uh, luckily, that was open, and it was fine. There's just like a little bit of ice on the roads, uh, but it was really cold, um, and it was starting to snow, and the kids were kind of complaining, and we started on a hike, but we didn't have any, like, ice spikes, you know, in our shoes. So we had to turn around real quick. Um, we also have a memory that we've done together of geocaching. Have you guys ever done that? Where uh, geocaching is where people hide little camouflage boxes out in nature, and then they leave clues for you to go find it. And, and, and people do it all over, literally all over the world. It's fascinating. It's free, but they do have a premium version uh, if you wanted to get that. Uh, but we, we were looking for this free one that was close to Echo Lake. Uh, and so we set out to find it. And we're like, we're like wading through like waist deep snow. You know, I mean, it's like maybe knee deep for me, but it's waist deep for the kids. You know, it's like getting all in our socks. Like we don't have snow gear. It's not ideal. We never find this thing. We conclude, you can look at the log of the people that have found it. It's like everyone's found it between March and September. And you're like, okay, so I guess this thing's like on the actual ground when you've got three feet of snow. Good luck. You know what? But here's the thing. You know, you get back home, you've taken videos like with, with your phone and you're like sending them to each other because we've made a memory, right? Like the location itself wasn't the magic. I mean, yeah, there was gorgeous views still, you know, even with a little bit of clouds, you know, and, and the location's great. It's the destination's fun, but ultimately it's the people that you're with is what you want. You're trying to make a memory. I kind of feel like that's what Jesus is saying. Stop worrying about what this kingdom looks like, whether or not you're there, if everything's perfect and lined up with it. Stop thinking about how you get to heaven or how this get to heaven. Just make a memory with me. I want to be with you. Look, look, look. Here's the important thing. I'm coming to dwell with you. Let's do this together. Yeah, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Everything else will come into place, but you don't have to worry about making the thing or even bringing others along into it. I just want to be with you. Let's make a memory together. That's what he's saying here to his disciples. And he's also revealing that the kingdom of God is, is going to be a future reality, but the presence of God is, is a present, current reality. That's where we live right now. So we, we can recognize we're not in a perfect kingdom. Things aren't completely lined up, but we have God's presence with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. We have what we really want, Jesus dwelling with us. Uh, but our questions, I have to admit, are very different than Judas's questions. Uh, we're not steeped in the Old Testament, the prophecies about the Messiah. Most of us, if you're like me, uh, you just kind of readily accept, okay, Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Don't have to deal with the prophecies anymore. Now we'll just focus on Jesus. Uh, our questions when we're talking about exclusivity of Jesus, like I mentioned before, are, is Jesus truly the only way? Uh, the only way toward, you know, spiritual fulfillment or heaven or, you know, whatever concept you kind of put, whatever the mountaintop is that we're aiming at. Um, or the other question is, uh, how should we present the requirements in order to receive Jesus? You know, especially from a practical perspective as a church, uh, what are we communicating, whether we're saying it or whether we're just practicing it? Well, you've got to do this in order to get Jesus. How would Jesus respond to those questions? Uh, I think... He'd probably give us a similar answer because we're, we're falling down a similar path that Judas is. Uh, we're just saying it a different way. If Jesus truly is 
the ultimate goal, the fulfillment, right? If he's saying, don't worry about this kingdom that's coming, worry about my presence dwelling with you, well, then the question is, is there any other way other than Jesus to get Jesus? It's like, well, what do you mean? It's like the question itself becomes irrelevant. If it's God's presence with us, if Jesus is heaven, is our kingdom, is our goal, our destination, what we actually truly want, well, then there's no other way to get that except through a relationship with Jesus. It, it, makes, it makes the question about the exclusivity of Jesus uh, irrelevant because all we want is Jesus anyway. And then we have to trust that for people that have never heard about him or never see him or are in different religions that God himself will present himself to them and give them that opportunity to know him. And then the other question, well, then what, what is required in order to have Jesus, right? What is required to get into heaven? Uh, some churches would say, we've got to pray a prayer. We've got to be baptized. We've got to say certain things. Uh, they probably don't believe it, but maybe they say your life has to look a certain way. Like, I know you don't have Jesus because this, this, this in your life. Or there's certain sins that are like trapdoor sins. And if you step in that, well, that completely eliminates you uh, from knowing Jesus. What would Jesus say to all these things? He'd say, well, you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. You know, you're trying to figure out the path or the ticket to get into a destination. No, no, no. The destination is my presence with you. The only way to get that is to love him. He immediately goes to the people who love me, obey my commands. This is how we are supposed to connect with Jesus. We have to view it like a relationship. I was telling Sherry, it's almost like, <laughs> she also told me not to, that was a bad illustration, but I've already started. Sorry, babe. It's, it's like if you're in high school and you want to date a girl, but you never talk to the girl, you never pursue the girl, instead you're busy flirting with other girls, well, you're never going to date that girl. You truly don't actually love them. You're going to have to pursue and choose, no, I want you and I'm not going to distract myself with these other things. Same thing with Jesus. If we really want Jesus, we have to pursue Jesus. We have to choose Jesus and want Jesus and we can't distract ourselves with other things. We say, no, I'm not interested in those things. I'm interested in you, Jesus. That's what the step is for us. So does it matter maybe what we say, what we get baptized, what our life looks like? Well, no, but those things will come when we're dating Jesus, right? Like when we're connected with him, then everything else falls in line with that. But first, we have to choose. I want, I want to love you, Jesus. And how do we do it? We do it through obedience. Here's the thing. If you go back and you read all the sermon notes or you look at all the, all the slides, you'll find out there's a theme to these two chapters in 13 and 14. It's like every main point is the same because Jesus has a main point for his disciples. I'm leaving you, new reality, you're gonna be afraid, but guess what? I love you and I love you deeply, not just saying it, not just demonstrate through the cross. No, I, I wanna be with you. I'm leaving, but not forever. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you so I can be with you forever. We're going to be connected. You know, love isn't just Jesus' emotional state this night. He's not just getting extra sappy because he realizes, you know, he's about to die. He's saying this is the end of our discipleship training, right? They've been with him for three years. They've been seeing all sorts of miracles and Jesus is teaching and wow, what a celebrity. He's great. Jesus is saying this is where we've been headed this whole time is a deep love between me and you. And guess what? It goes on forever. It's eternal through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know this is why we're doing this. This is where discipleship is leading us. It's to, it's to a deep relationship 
with Jesus, loving relationship with him. That's our goal. The goal of discipleship is not to just know more about Jesus. It's not just to look more like Jesus. It's not just to do more things for Jesus. It's not to have more peace in your life or have more joy in your life, happiness, whatever it is. The goal of discipleship is to fall further in love with Jesus. All those other things come because we're falling in love with him. You know, I think we get distracted and we try to make our life look like Jesus, right? Or do more things for Jesus or, or seek the peace that comes with Jesus or seek the joy that comes with Jesus. Look, 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 the destination of our discipleship is Jesus. All we really want is Jesus, loving him. So I just wanna encourage us, accept his love, recognize his love, and then pursue his love. Want to be with him. He wants to be with us. This is where he's taking us and this is where we belong and where we're destined to be. Uh, this morning, uh, we get the opportunity to take communion together. Uh, communion was uh, a re- or is a reenactment of that Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples during this conversation. Uh, communion for us is a way that we look back. Uh, we remember what Jesus was going to do on the cross, but we also participate in it with Jesus, where the bread itself represents Jesus' body, and then the juice that we have represents his blood. And this is his sacrifice for us in order that there would be a new covenant, a new agreement where God would be with us forever. So he died on the cross for our sins. Our guilt before God is completely erased. And now we have the ability to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what we celebrate when we take communion this morning. I want us to just read the very last verse again that we read, uh, where it's Jesus' final words in that upper room before they leave and they begin walking uh, to the garden where Jesus is, is ultimately arrested. He says this, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus shows us the way. What does it look like to love God? It looks like obedience. You know, we can talk about the brokenness in the world. We can talk about the struggles that we're facing. We can even say, it's the devil who wants to keep me away from God. Jesus recognized it. He said, he has no hold over over me. And because he's in us, he has no hold over us. But he gives us an opportunity to show that we love God and that we will do whatever he has commanded us to do. Uh, We're gonna, we've got the different communion elements to trays on the tables. We'll pass them around. Just pass them around to people around you. We'll make sure that uh, enough gets to the right people. Um, But as we're passing it around, as we're just kind of sitting in silence, reflect on this verse. Reflect on God's love for you. And then also, what will your love to God look like? What is he asking of you this morning? Uh, Once you have the elements, hold them in your hands. I'll come back up and then we'll all take them together. So let's take a moment, reflect on these verses and then get uh, ready to take communion together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you for the sacrament that you've created of taking communion. We thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the story that it tells. We thank you for the love that is expressed through these things to us. Lord, I pray that we would 
recognize your love. We would see your love. We would feel your love. We'd understand it. I pray you give us the, uh, the strength to love you back, that we'd be able to choose to follow you and choose obedience. May you show us what you desire from us, even today. How can we love you, God? We want to love you. You are great and you are good. We pray these things, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Now I'd like to turn you back to your tables uh, for discussion. We've got three questions. We'll take, oh, probably about six minutes this morning. And here are, oh, I'm starting all the way at the beginning, but I'm going to hold it down. See what happens. It's working. All right. Do you feel Jesus is unfairly exclusive? Uh, just on a personal level, would you like to see Jesus being more open-handed? Uh, two, where have you seen churches be too exclusive? Where do you think that perhaps, whether they've said it or it's just how they've interacted with each other, that they've perhaps not accurately represented God? And then third is a practical application. What does loving Jesus look like in your life? Uh, so turn to your neighbors, gather around the little tables, uh, ask your favorite one of these questions, then I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us in about five, six minutes.